Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm your host, James Caldwell. In this episode, I talk with someone who is the definition of an Atlantic youth leader. We discuss a wide variety of topics, ranging from how difficult it is to advocate for youth issues, to the deeper causes of why young people leave our region. Really, we only scratch the surface of a lot of these topics, but it starts the conversation. So buckle up and let the show begin. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time tonight and joining me. I think you're, uh, you know, when I thought of youth leadership in Atlantic Canada, you're one of the first people I thought of. So I, I can't think of a better guest to have on. No, that sparks so much joy to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. So, KJ, I know a fair bit about you, but can you tell the listeners in general a little bit about yourself, what you're working on, kind of what you do? Okay, so I I love hearing this question because it changes every single time I say it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the, the content is still the same, but it's just how, how, how I come from it, you know? For sure. But, so I am originally from Bermuda. So for those of you who do not know, Bermuda is a archipelago, which is a which is a collection of islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. We're literally like I think 700 kilometers away from anyone. So we are a very isolated island, and the reason why I, I I start off with that because I always need to give credit where credit's due. Like I have to recognize my heritage and recognize who I am because mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the fact that I grew up in Bermuda, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Mm-hmm. So Bermuda is um, its legal name is we are a British overseas territory, which basically means we are still a colony which mm-hmm. means we are still living proof that the British Empire is still colonizing people. Mm-hmm. So that mindset and that idea of oppression mm-hmm. uh, in all facets of it, uh, even because, you know, we could argue about Bermuda's status and, you know, some may argue that we are very privileged, which we are, but the history and and the trauma that is connected to having a foreign power control your identity and influence how you think has really sparked the work that I do when it comes to advocacy, in particular, um, standing up for the underdog. So that's, that's who I am. And once I tell that story, people just understand why I do the things that I do. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. So I know that you were pretty involved in student government, especially at your time you went to UNB St. John, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So can you, so I know that you just kind of touched on it a little bit there, but can you tell us like in particular student government, what kind of got you interested in, you know, going and being involved in your student community at UNB St. John? And I guess, how did that kind of roll into a more, student-centered advocacy in a sense yeah so when i first came to st john like the only reason why i went to umb st john was because i fell in love with the city of st john um i 
I I went and people laugh at that, but hear hear, hear me out. <laughs> uh, uh, when I landed, I immediately went to uptown and I saw the history and I saw the heritage that the city had. And I started. I'm a type of person like you know I do have a podcast too, and mm-hmm. like I love to interview people. So I I literally went around uptown interviewing folks and trying to get an understanding of what is this city. And each time I spoke to someone, I heard a different perspective and a different viewpoint of the city. Mm-hmm. And it, it was all peaches and cream at first. Like I never understood the um, the struggles in which the city had until I actually moved to St. John. So mm. when I moved to St. John, I it was like the first week or so, I started to see that all of the international students clustered together, all the Canadian students clustered together. Mm -hmm. And for me, I grew up in a very inclusive environment and a very diverse environment. So that divide always triggered me, even when, Mm -hmm. even when I went, even when I was back home. So when I saw the that divide there, I I started to ask questions and I started to to understand. I started to ask the international students, "Why aren't you involved? Why why don't you want to you know inter- introduce yourself to people?" And I started to hear the stories that some of the folks would receive surrounding xenophobia within the university, mm-hmm. and I, I started to say, "Wow, that I, I like." this is actually happening and then from then i started to receive xenophobia i remember when i first moved there the microaggressions really started to amplify as the weeks went by and i i did not know i didn't know where to go i didn't know how to to try to rectify these things and at the time my my now best friend uh matthew uh mm-hmm. he was starting to get involved with student government and he was just like you should really join the student union so i joined the student union because i saw an issue with the culture within ub st john mm-hmm. uh, around the disconnect between international students and domestic students which then fostered into disconnect between other marginalized communities within the campus. So I I joined student unions because I saw, I did not see myself in the leadership. I didn't see Mm -hmm. myself within my union. And Mm -hmm. at the time I always joked, I was just like, I'm giving you money. Why am I not being listened to? But as as it grew as it grew along, it I started to see the value in having uh, diversity within leadership, in particular when it comes to advocacy organizations. So it started off as as that as me trying to to be involved, mm-hmm. and I went in not trying to fix everything. And even though it the, that type of pressure was given to me, that I came in to rectify the wrongs. I, mm. I I solely came in to empower folks who look like me to have the opportunity to be involved with with these institutions. Mm-hmm. No, that's a that's a great answer. 
and I think you hit on something really important because, you know, when we talk about, or at least when the discussion comes up uh, about kind of growing the population of the Maritimes or, or trying to focus on trying to get more quote unquote working age people in, in the Atlantic provinces, in New Brunswick in particular, we talk a lot about immigration and mm-hmm. what, what we don't really, or at least the conversation, I don't know, obviously you'd be more knowledgeable on this than I am, but is talking about like, yeah, that international student experience, you know, how do, how do international students feel when they come to our universities, our post-secondary educations, our institutions? And cause that will really, I would assume, depend if they stay in the region or not if they don't Mm -hmm. feel welcomed in their student communities or in their cities or wherever they go then there's a greater chance that yeah they're gonna move on like why why would you why would you stay here if you didn't feel welcomed or you didn't see yourself in uh in the leadership in the government or whatnot Mm -hmm. yeah so like this is this is actually one a big passion of mine because it's my lived experience yeah. Uh, when I worked for government, I constantly criticized the approach that immigration is fixing the province's grand population problem. Because as soon as you have that narrative, you are no longer looking at these individuals as human beings. You're hmm. looking at these individuals as money. You're looking yes. at, and as I said, you're looking at them as cash cash cows. Mm-hmm. So I always pushed the narrative that if you want people to stay here, you need to develop the conversation about organic retention and organic mm-hmm. um, integration. Because mm-hmm. another thing that we, we fail to realize is you are dealing with people who have put their entire life on hold and invested in their province. I, I always said this, me as an international student, against popular belief, like I do know that there are some international students who come from a very affluent background, but majority of the international students who came to New Brunswick are what I call the community investment. And what I mean by community investment is we fail to realize that it, the whole world, especially countries that come from a developing country or countries that are not as economically sound as Canada, we mm-hmm. look at these, we look at the Canadas, we look at Europe countries, and we look at the United States as a way to achieve, you know, the 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 dream. So for me, uh, I, for my example is when I, I was already decided to go to university by the time I was born. And there was so many people who had already invested in me before I even was able to be born, you know? Mm-hmm. So the the amount of work and time that goes into uprooting your life and and coming into going to university to say to someone that you should stay here because you're going to help our our money problem already shuts people off i tell people all the time the only reason why i'm still in the maritimes is because of the family that i've created 
within the Maritimes. And I have adopted their struggles and I've adopted their, their viewpoints and their, uh, their visions of the province because of how they have accepted me into them. And, you know, when I, cause like, as you know, like I'm in Nova Scotia now mm-hmm. and that the reason why I left New Brunswick is because of the, I guess the disrespect and the hurt mm-hmm. that I felt as, uh, as a newcomer mm-hmm. within New Brunswick because of the xenophobia, because of the racism, because of the hom- homophobia, that it comes to a point where people ask themselves, why do I want to invest my time in this province? Why I want to live here if I'm going to constantly be discriminated against? Or why should I be in this province if folks who even live in the, within this province doesn't want to stay within the province? Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, you bring obviously a very good point there that, because I hear the common, you know, that, oh, the, you know, people who first come here, whether they're international students or immigrants, you know, they don't stay here because there's quote unquote, like no jobs. But I think you raise an important point that it's a lot deeper than that. It's there's Mm -hmm. systematic issues that, you know, as a society, I think, as Atlantic Canadians, and obviously as New Brunswickers, you know, we need to take a hard look at ourselves and really say, like, why are people really not staying here? It's not just because there's no jobs. It's obviously a lot larger issue. Yeah, and, so. and that's what that's why I always talk about the organic retention, because, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I had a job, you know, I know people who have jobs, but it comes to a point where your surrounding is so toxic and you're, you're um, constantly belittled or you're constantly, Mm -hmm. you're constantly pushed to the side where you just get to the point where the mental health starts getting into a play. And Mm -hmm. it gets to a point where you ask that question is, why am I here? Mm -hmm. And I I say that even with the young people who, who are in New Brunswick, when I was with the, when I was in student unions and I advocated, I said, you are, I, I always would tell um, ministers or MLAs, your young people are a gold mine. The mm-hmm. province has so much passion and so much intellectual diversity within the province that the young people could be pumping out so many ideas and so many innovative um, solutions to solve a lot of the complex issues within the province, but the the colonial mindset of the province, and you know, mm-hmm. I always get in trouble when I call New Brunswick a colony, <laughs> but I recognize similar traits that that strive from the colonial mindset. You know, you got that divide and conquer that divide and conquer approach. You had yeah. that divide between the north and the south. You had the divide when it comes to language. You had the divide when it comes to even the three major cities within the province. The province yeah. has so many so much deep rooted traumas that it hinders itself from being productive because of not being able to address so much systemic barriers that that the that the that the province has mm-hmm. that's a great perspective yeah it's definitely it's hard for you know people who grow up and live in new brunswick to kind of have that 
I guess, new perspective or to view us, you know, because you're right, there is a lot of divide uh, mm-hmm. within the province and it's really hard, you know, until, until someone can call it out, it's hard to address it, right? Yeah. And then, and then like when folks even call it out, like I, I was constantly, I guess, criticized for calling it out a lot because Mm -hmm. of that mindset of no, no, it can't happen here when I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, it is happening here. Like I, it broke my heart. Like, uh, I have a friend who, who is Acadian Mm -hmm. and he, he struggled with the, with the idea of being Acadian because every single narrative around a, being an Acadian within within the province was so skewed to the mm. point where he stopped watching the CBC when they talked about Acadian or uh, anything to do with with the with French language because of the comments that he saw it broke him. I remember mm. the last the last time the last comment he sent me was uh, they were talking about they're talking about bilingualism within the province and mm-hmm. someone said, you know, maybe we should have a second deportation and this time we'll probably get it right. And it's just even, even me just saying that right now gives me chills because that yeah. individual saw that. And I could go in to talk about the African uh, Canadians who, who are within, within New Brunswick. And I could mm-hmm. even talk about the indigenous people who, who, who are within the province. The province is so busy trying to have this crap mentality when it's not taking the time to see the beauty that is New Brunswick. And, you know, I, I tell people here, like, I, it, it breaks my heart that I had to leave the province because... I, I saw the potential and I saw the beauty. Um, and I, like for me, I, I used to just get in my car and just drive. And I, I made so many friends that I, that, I, that I wouldn't have met by just driving, stopping in a town and receiving so much hospitali- hospitality, <laughs> hospitality <laughs> from mm-hmm. different folks, from you know, Grand Falls to St. Stephen's to like Moncton to Fredericton to St. John to even the Acadian Peninsula. Like I would just travel around and just hear people's stories and the rich diversity within the province. It just, it just amazed me that we aren't taking the time to see its beauty. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So <clears throat> kind of, I know that we, you've kind of touched on it a little bit here and there, but I'm kind of wondering so you talk about when you're talking with like MLAs and other government officials and, and your time in government itself, but what was some of the hardest aspects of being an advocate for young people, for the communities that you represented? Yeah. Did like people listen to you? Did they dismiss you? I know that you talked a little bit about it, but. So it's two things. The first <laughs> thing would be it's hard to engage with individuals when they know that the people I'm representing don't Mm -hmm. vote. Mm -hmm. It's hard to convince people to listen to me when the people I'm representing, you know, don't engage. So when I was in my advocacy roles, individuals will listen to me and they will say, I, I hear what you're saying, but at the end of the day, young people are not going to vote for me. So why should I care? 
Yeah. So you, so like you would, you would have individuals on both sides and it's not, and it's not a, a particular party that did this, both political parties at the time, there was only two when I was fully advocating a little bit, it's hard to get four, um, once once I became the executive director of the MBS, MBSA, but only three parties were mm-hmm. engaged with me, not four. And that's like another conversation. <laughs> um, but but you, you had these things where people would look at issues based on how is it going to benefit me? And it was hard because I would be speaking to students and try to understand the understand the, the vast intersectionality of being a, a post-secondary student within New Brunswick, that we are doing such a disservice for our people. And I start at the end of my advocacy role within New Brunswick, I start to say, students are not, students are investing into New Brunswick by attending a post-secondary institution, regardless of what individuals may say about how um, post-secondary institutions are funded. At the end of the day, the students are taking the time because they believe in our education system. Students are taking the time and investing their money into stimulating an economy that you know contributes hundreds of millions of dollars to New Brunswick. And students are taking the time because they believe that this degree will help them stay within New Brunswick. So. I started to say that narrative and I started to convince individuals that investing in post-secondary education, investing in young people is a smart economic development strategy, but still you will get that comment of how is this benefiting me? So it made me start to question and made me start to look at if politicians are solely developing public policy based on if it's going to elect them, what direction is this province going to? And then the second thing would be, you know, I was a foreigner, I am a person of color, and I was openly gay. I am not was, I am openly gay. So <laughs> having having these intersectionalities of myself and being proud of those things also put different type of targets on my back that did not allow me to to strive to be effective advocate even though in my opinion I feel like I was pretty damn good but <laughs> it it still put traumas in not traumas it still put um, barriers because mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day New Brunswick politics is a boys game I could yeah. not play the game because I wasn't able to get into the door if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, no, 100% it does, for sure. Yeah. But but then it, it poses the question if, and then like I share the same stories of females. I know of a lot of female advocates within New Brunswick who are constantly belittled and receive sexism on a daily basis and are pushed to the side based on, but provide so much, so much insight to move the province forward. Like I, I look at every single advocacy mentor that I have is a female and hearing the sacrifices that they have made and the work that they do on a regular basis is phenomenal to me that there are so many strong women within New Brunswick that can 
push the province forward, but we're so in the mindset of not being able to try things new and not taking a leap of faith. And I say, when I say the we, because I, I still identify as an honorary New Brunswicker, um, and I say the we as the citizens are not taking the faith to support the people who are having these progressive ideologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you touch on a really good, for your first point, you touch on a really good point about the politicians only care about uh, policies that will get them elected. And so mm-hmm. that creates, in my mind, that creates kind of like a nasty downward spiral because so you don't, so students don't vote because they don't feel that, um, you know, politicians don't listen to them. So mm-hmm. politicians don't create policy that benefit youth. And so then the youth feel even more disenfranchised. So they just don't vote and they just disengage from the political process altogether. So there mm-hmm. is a definitely a downward spiral there. And I guess, yeah, I guess that's kind of, you know, just kind of taking a step back. That's ultimately what I do want to talk about on this podcast in general is, you know, they talk about, a lot of people talk about youth leaving the Atlantic provinces because there's more opportunities out West, but it really is in my mind, something deeper. And I guess the goal of this podcast in general is to get to that deeper meaning, deeper reason of why people don't stay. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And like that, I'm, I'm on that quest too, mm-hmm. because it is deeper. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. there are individuals who do not have the opportunity to have jobs. And yes, we have a housing crisis. And yes, we have a debt crisis. And there's so many barriers that are associated to being a young individual within the Maritimes and in New Brunswick in particular. But there is a deeper root there that we need to address as a community that is bigger than jobs. Mm -hmm. It's way way bigger than jobs. And we need politicians to think that way. We need business leaders to think that way. Like, you know, I I know people who who have worked for urban companies and they have left these companies. They've left good jobs because how the company, and I say the company as in the big company, treats their employees. Yes. Um, And, and, if you and then with that, like if you have your big employers, so you have the McCain's, you have the Irvings, you have the Cook Agricultures, you have um, the Olins, you have all these big, very influential families and influential businesses, kind of pushing people out because of their not willingness to change, and mm-hmm. then you have an added layer of outdated post-secondary system, and then you have an added layer of different type of social. Um, economic problems, and then you have an ad, another added layer of these backwards and forwards biases that the province has, you come to a point where people just say, I've had enough. And mm-hmm. because you're living in such a connected age where individuals can you know, sit in one place and do a, do a quick search on Google or do a quick search on YouTube and see someone living in Toronto or living, seeing someone living in Vancouver, the idea of the grass is green on the other side slowly starts to motivate individuals to move away. And it's simply, oh, we could just get a job. Like I literally have been in meetings where 
individuals say, we just get the jobs and then people will come back. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's way deeper than that. It's very no, naive to think that. I 100% agree. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of Maritimers, a lot of Atlantic Canadians who still have this idealized view of kind of our very industrial background or industrial past where it was, you know, the mines or the paper mills or the, the forestry industry. And, you know, if these jobs can come back, then all the prosperity that we had in the 60s and 70s and whatever decade you want to choose will come back with them. But you know, the world has changed, things have changed. And like you noted before, there's these large, large employers now who you either, you know, do do what they want you to do or you're out. And yeah. yeah. Like it's, and then like oh, I, I, when I, when I think of that, I, I definitely think of, you know, diversity and inclusion, um, mm -hmm. in particular diversity, because even when we look at the economy, our economies aren't as diverse as it needs to be. Uh, yes. I look at a, I look at a forest, for example. If a successful forest has diversity, in order to, you know, breathe as a forest, as, a, as in order to sustain your livelihood as a forest, you need a diverse group of trees. Mm. If you look at a coral reef, for example. You need a diverse group of fish. You need different type of predators. You need different type of algae. You need different type of corals to have a successful, to have a successful coral. We see so many times in nature where diversity strives because diversity in, in encourages the survival and encourages individuals to, or not individuals in context of nature, and, and mm -hmm. it encourages the system to become codependent on each other and they need each other to survive in order to prosper as, as a whole. So that type of concept needs to happen within a human species because in order for us to succeed, we need to work together. Now, this is kind of like a tangent now, so I do apologize. Oh, no, um, go ahead. Because like, if you look at the creation of Turtle Island. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, North America and South America in particular. Yes. All of the success of these two continents and, you know, I, and I would, yeah, I, I just look at our, our two continents. The success of these two con continents happen because of collaboration. Mm -hmm. What the issue is, the collaboration that happened was not balanced and was not equal i.e. slavery, i.e. oppression, i.e. appropriating. We have now come to a point where we recognize that in order to move forward, we need to right the wrongs of our past, but we also need to ensure that we are taking the time to understand that in order to move forward, we have to provide equal playing fields that account for the different past lived experience of different subgroups within within our areas. So when I look at New Brunswick and I look at the Maritimes as a whole, we fail to realize that the creation of Canada was at the sacrifice of every single Atlantic province. Well, I wouldn't say every single maritime province because uh, Newfoundland came into the Federation late, later. Yes. But 
New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PEI the, made a sacrifice for the greater good of Canada. Mm-hmm. What has happened now is that sacrifice hasn't been paid forward. So when we talk about the growth of New Brunswick, growth of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia PEI, we need to take into account that there needs to be a national conversation about providing the resources needed to transition our economies, to to provide resources to um, to address some of our systemic barriers, and that's the conversation that we need to start having when it comes to keeping our young people within within the within these regions. Like I, mm-hmm. it hurts my heart when I hear these young people that say they want to stay within the province or stay say they want to stay within the region, but don't have the opportunity to either create create something new or have the opportunity to enter into a system that has its unconscious biases. So yeah. it's, it, it's, it's very, like for me, from a, like a, like a policy, I, I call myself a little policy wonk, a little political <laughs> scientist. New, the Atlantic region, New Brunswick in particular, fascinates me because it's so much opportunity to become a thought leader on the global scale when it comes to one, decolonizing itself from a mindset and also developing a new system that is inclusive and understands the traumas and understands the past of the lived residents within it. Because the story that's happening in Atlantic Canada and New Brunswick, it's not a story that's singular to this region. When we look at the the British Empire, and when you look at colonization, you know the Spanish, like the Sp- like Spain had this issue too. Portugal had this is- issue too. These type of modern day issues can be looked at all over the all over the world, and no one is really taking the time to recognize that there is an opportunity to be in the space of trying to develop inclusive areas. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I really loved when you mentioned kind of going back to the sacrifices that the Maritimes made mm-hmm. uh, about kind of for that national good. Mm-hmm. And because, yeah, I really don't think a lot of people, you know, realize when you know when the national policy came in under john a Macdonald, when it severely really undercut the maritime industry the maritime's uh economy and so i think one i think that's a a broader conversation for atlantic canada as a region in a federal aspect to lobby to fight for to help to transition our economy away from more resource-based economy to a more modern economy Mm-hmm. And 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 to add on to your last point there, yeah, I think I do agree that yeah, New Brunswick could be, you know, I think New Brunswick in general is a is a good place to play with new ideas because mm-hmm. I think 
it's just an interesting political environment already. Like mm -hmm. we already have so many divides that it would be interesting to see, you know, if we all come together and try to forge a new path for the province, like what would actually happen? Yeah. You know? yeah. I, so. I agree with you. Like I, um, yeah, like I, I'm guessing you, you read the book looking for bootstraps. Yes. Yes, yeah. I have. <laughs> that, that book really opened my eyes to like, I, once I, I read that book and I was like, huh, interesting. And then I also started yeah. to read uh, Irving versus Irving as well. And I said, huh, interesting hmm. um, to, to recognize as much as, as people look at the Irving family. Um, actually, I, I really, as, as much as people criticize them, I very much look at the Irving Corporation as the potential in which New Brunswick as a whole can be. Because if you if people take the time to really understand the origins of Casey Irving and and look at his roots, he 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 is like the definition of a self-made man. And he and he and he took the time to recognize what was what was missing and develop something and utilize the interconnectedness of New Brunswick to its advantage to create one of the largest corporations within Canada, and mm -hmm. it, and that 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 right there shows the the work ethic of of what New Brunswick can be. I even look at Radiant Six, for example, um, mm -hmm. and and there are there and then being sold to Salesforce like. Coke Agriculture, uh, McCain's. You have so many examples of New Brunswick knocking it out of the park and showcasing its innovation. And each of those successes I told you about happened when New Brunswick as a whole collectively came together to pull these things up. Radiant Six was held up by, you know, uh, opportunities in New Brunswick and um, ACOA, or the Irving family, the Irving corporations were held up by everyone in New Brunswick because they create everything. Same with the McCain's with what they did with within um, Woodstock area. So like there are examples in which New Brunswick has collectively came together, but you st you can't you can't right the wrongs if you still have that mindset in which you created something. So mm -hmm. if you look at all these companies that I, I, I did, I, I listed off, me personally, I do not feel that they had the chance to fully heal and fully understand the system in which they were in, and able to spread equality and spread equity for all. And then, so I, so I say that because when I look at the Persian Gulf countries, for example, as, mm -hmm. and like, you know, we could argue about how, like, you know, their human rights violations and whatever, whatever. But when it comes to their residents, so if you are someone who is, who's born in Qatar, right? If you're a Qatarian, the government and the people take the time to develop your skill sets in order for you to be productive economically, whether that's for the greater good of the, the state, whether that's greater good of you. And mm -hmm. the government provides you with resources to be successful in business or be successful in education in order 
to bring that knowledge and bring that investment back to the country in order to collectively improve the country as a whole. That's the type of things that's going to save New Brunswick. I would, mm -hmm. I, I would even like to say save. That's the type of stuff that's going to push New Brunswick to be the thought leader that it, it can be. Yeah. By taking the time to invest in its young people and taking the time to connect their young people with the experienced folks of um, different industries or different governments and combining that new and that old and bringing it together and taking the time to to address these address these issues and address these these problems and taking the time to fix itself internally in order to encourage people to come here to encourage people to want to stay here i'm like i always joke around i'm waiting for the day like my ideal place to live is chance harbor new brunswick <laughs> okay <laughs> i I love it. I love Chance Harbor. It's I call it it's a very woke and progressive little little community. And I can't wait for the opportunity where I'm able to move there and live there. But at the state in which the province is now, I do not feel that I'm able to live there. Hmm. And when I'm in Halifax, for example, and I, I ask people, I was like, oh, where you're from? And they say I'm from blank New Brunswick. And they mm -hmm. all say the same thing. I wish I could live in my province, but I I yeah. love New Brunswick, but yes. So we are we are missing a, an opportunity that's so great when it comes to the retention and the economic growth of the province that we really need to take the time to sit down and you know remove political ideology, remove remove language ideology, remove culture ideology, and respect the, our differences, but also think how can we collectively move a province forward when knowing full well that we have diversity and what makes us strong is our diverse culture. So that's, that, that's, just, that's just how I'm feeling. And it, and it, it keeps me up at night, man. It really, I, 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 I don't, between Bermuda and between New Brunswick, I, I feel like they will be the death of me because the same, <laughs> the same thing that's happening in Bermuda that, that I really wish that my own country could be the thought leader, um, especially mm. in the Caribbean when it comes to being innovative and, and moving things forward. So I, um, no, I, I, like I, I love New Brunswick, but we, we have to break up for a bit. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, you know, I 100% get it. I too have heard a lot of people say, you know, most of them have moved out west or whatnot. But, you know, they say, oh, you know, I'd love to live in New Brunswick, but da 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 da. And yeah, I think New Brunswick does have a lot to offer. But there are some significant challenges, and especially like kind of going back to what you mentioned before, that many politicians are just interested in policies that get them elected. And maybe that, maybe to the layman, that makes sense. Like, why would you try to push a policy that, you know, people would not, not they wouldn't like, but a lot of people, it doesn't affect the majority, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And see, and I think that actually is a contributing factor to our, uh, you know, age acceleration, if you will, because as, you know, New Brunswick is the second oldest province in Canada now. Mm -hmm. And 
so obviously you're going to create policies that appeal to an older demographic and so more and more young people are going to feel disenfranchised with the political process and so more and more young people will essentially just leave um and so it's just a downward spiral from there i would say so oh. uh, yeah i know it was a great conversation it was an honestly it, we hit on so many topics i feel like we could have almost a whole podcast episode for like <laughs> each topic you touched on i'm kind of curious just kind of wrapping it up would you like to add anything that has kind of come to mind during this conversation or something that you think is important that we haven't really touched on as yet if you are living in new brunswick mm -hmm. go to another part of the province and learn and ask questions and see how people within your province live. Yeah. I, uh, I just recently convinced my friends who live in St. John. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, St. John and friends really don't mix. However, <laughs> these individuals are, are very inclusive about the concept of uh, language um, rights. But I took them to the Acadian Peninsula for the first time. And the amazement on their face of just being in the same province, but seeing how other people see the province simply, um, it excited them. Mm -hmm. they, they were impressed. They were, um, they kind of felt kind of guilty for having some perceived conceptions of the northern part of the province. Mm -hmm. But they, at the end of it, they were just like, thank you for taking me to see my province. So tour the province and see what New Brunswick has to offer. Yeah. No, I think one, that's an amazing point to end on, but also as a Northern New Brunswicker who has you know, lived in Halifax, who has lived in Moncton. Yes, I highly encourage people, especially Southern New Brunswickers, because like, I'll be honest, and this might not be, might not be well received by a lot of Southern New Brunswickers, but they don't really know what the North is like. I remember mm -hmm. talking to this one guy one time that I, I told him that I live about 45 minutes north of Bathurst. He was from St. John. Mm -hmm. And he said, people live 45 minutes north of Bathurst? <laughs> and it's yeah, like, yes, do. yes, they do <laughs> in Belleville, New Brunswick. But yeah, no, I think it is very important to explore. And that goes for basically any province in Atlantic Canada, but it's important to go out and explore the, you know, explore your different areas and really learn about, you know, the different important events that happen there and learn how, yeah, like you said, how people live in, in your province. Yeah, because, and then I see time, but I'll also end on, on here. Uh, mm -hmm. Divide and conquer ideology strives when you don't take the time to develop empathy for people within your community. 100%. And the large, and we need to start looking at it as a larger community if we want to have like meaningful growth. So, mm -hmm. yes, no, I, I can't agree more. So if people want to follow you or your work, or you mentioned you had a podcast, Catalyst Conversations, just putting this in here, Catalyst Conversations, for anyone who's listening, great podcast, lots of great content, highly recommend to listen. But if anyone wants to find you or your podcast, uh, where can they find you at? 
Yeah, so I, I guess, so on Instagram is catalyst.conversation mm -hmm. and on Twitter is catalystconvo. And right now Catalyst is very much in a state of transition and I'm mm -hmm. trying to, um, these things are a business and people need to, need to realize that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that a lot of work gets into creating content, especially content that involves um, research. So I'm mm -hmm. looking to pivot the Catalyst Conversation and turn it into the Catalyst Conversation Network um, because I speak to a lot of folks like you and I, I want to bring everyone together so we can all have meaningful conversations like this because there is so much power in numbers. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show and uh, have a good night. Oh, thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What Do You Think? If you liked it, please be sure to share it with your friends and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to join the conversation, please follow us on Twitter and or Instagram at whatyouth underscore think. Together, we can make our voices heard. Thank you very much.